Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause, the podcast for growth-oriented entrepreneurs and executives who aspire to create positive change in the world. Are you in business for more than just profit? Then like and subscribe today and join our channel to become a hustler for a cause. Hello and welcome to Hustlers for a Cause. Today we're honored to have with us a very special guest, James Mulvaney. James has never worked a regular job in his life, starting his first venture at just 16. He's been the founder of a number of companies, including Wave Streaming and CDNFI, and currently is the founder of Radio.co, Podcast.co, and my personal favorite, Matchmaker FM. And he loves helping people connect with each other and share their messages with the world. In fact, in his free time, he even helps out Hideout Youthstone in Manchester share their messages over podcasting as well. James, it's great to have you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Cheers, Sean. That's, that was a really good intro. Thank you. <laughs> so before we even get down to business, it seems like you're actually a fan of Alice in Wonderland. Is that correct? <laughs> Alice in Wonderland? <laughs> Why did you say that? Yeah, so I saw the property stuff that you're doing in the Cheshire Cat, and I was like, oh, I wonder. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what that means. Okay. So that's just, I needed a name for that. I started doing a few property investments recently. And the area like that is right next to Manchester is called Cheshire. That's the county next to us. Ah, okay. Um, it was like, I just needed a name for a company. It could be anything really. So I was like, Cheshire Cat. That sounds cool. Thank you. Yeah. Is there another fictional story then that's like your personal favorite from growing up? Oh, I used to like Peter Pan. I always see myself a bit as Peter Pan, like the boy that never grew up. I'm 33 years old now, and I don't, I don't feel 33. I maybe feel 23, mm-hmm. you know, but maybe even not 23. I try not to take life too seriously. I mean, I'm obviously, yeah, I'm a very motivated guy. I've worked very, very hard over the last 15 years building various different companies, but I've had a lot of fun along the way. So I think Peter Pan's kind of the story I most resonate with there. Sometimes the people that work the hardest are the people that play the hardest too, so... Yeah, Yeah, it's awesome. Tell me about where it all started for you. What was that first business you started back at 16? Yeah, so I mean, it's interesting that this podcast called Hustlers for a Cause, because, you know, I think this kind of term hustle, it's kind of like a new, I don't think it really existed five years ago. It's something that everyone's talking about now. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you get a side hustle and all that kind of thing? And I just think my kind of career started, I just finished high school. I was 16 years old. I had been given this time off to revise for exam called study leave. Okay. And rather than studying, I was just my 16th birthday. It was like at the start of this study leave period, I had like two months. And, you know, you had to go in like once or twice a week for different exams. And rather than doing revision and being a good student, I just thought, right, I'm going to see if I can make some money on the internet. And I was, this was like 2003. So I got a PayPal account. I think you had to be 16 years old to get PayPal. I thought, okay, I'm just going to see what I can do. And I knew how to use Photoshop and I kind of build websites using Dreamweaver. And I was kind of really, you know, okay, but nothing special. And yeah. I just started going around forums and just finding people who wanted logos designing or banners, you know, remember those little annoying animated banners that used to flash. Yep. I just started doing like odd jobs for people, you know, kind of, I suppose the model equivalent of like Fiverr or Upwork, but just finding people and, you know, started making a living. Really. My friends were going out and getting part-time jobs, you know, working in um, McDonald's or doing a paper round or doing, you know, working in a supermarket, whatever. And I just was sort of more fixated with how could I make money on the internet and, and how can I, 
you know, use this thing which I had in my bedroom called a computer to, mm-hmm. to do what they were doing. And of course, then I could use my time to kind of play games and just goof off and just sort of have fun. Nice. And so that first company that you started, I guess it started as web design and then it kind yeah. of, you had like this inspiration of wanting to be a DJ that kind of came uh-huh. together to create wave streaming, right? Yeah, that's exactly it. I was looking at what career I should go into. So after I finished school, I then went on to do college, which is like two years in the UK. And you do that before university. And I was doing some experience for like working on local radio stations. And I also was doing some DJing and broadcasting online. And I kind of learned how you could actually just broadcast from your computer onto the internet. Mm-hmm. There used to be this software called Shoutcast, part of Winamp, if you remember that. So yeah, it was kind of like old school Windows software. And, uh, and I noticed that there was lots of other guys doing the same thing. So I thought, right, I know I like DJing and I kind of understood what the industry wanted. So I put together a website called wavestreaming.com. Really didn't know much about how to run servers or any of that side of the stuff. I was kind of knew a little bit of the technical stuff, but more I was focused on what value can we deliver to the customers. So, you know, I found a guy online who could maintain the servers and look after that for me and just started a, a business. And before I knew it, you know, I think my first year of trading probably made about, I don't know, close to $20,000, which, you know, for a 17 year old kid is pretty good. I think that was my sort of foray into business. You know, it went from me actually doing sort of odd jobs and bits of web design to actually having kind of a, a quote unquote company. And then obviously that was a great position to be in by the time I went off to go to university because I already had a sort of steady income stream. Yeah. And you really brought me back too with Winamp and Dreamweaver. Like, I know. <laughs> all you used to do is and like talk about Napster for a second. I'm like, that was yeah. it. You know? <laughs> I know. Well, you know, this is, this is what I grew up with and uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, I guess kids these days growing up with much better options, like the tools like Canva, which just make the whole process of design amazing. And I learned Photoshop and I'd go onto Photoshop and I'd go to the effects panel. I'd just, just be ticking all the boxes saying, yes, I want that. And it would, just, it, you know, it would end up looking absolutely awful. And that was my approach to designing a logo. You know? yep. But, you know, it, hey, it worked back. That was acceptable. So uh, these days, I think people have got way better options. But it just goes to show, I think, you know, back then, there wasn't as much education and training online as there is now about you mm-hmm. know, how to be an entrepreneur. It was kind of just something I naturally fell into, I think. Yeah. So I can imagine getting into the radio industry and getting Mm. your first clients is probably really difficult. What do you do to break into an industry like that? You know, I was Mm -hmm. obviously learning how to write copy. I was learning how to then sort of start marketing the website. You know, once you've got that website, how do you get it ranked on Google? And I certainly think back then it was probably much easier than it is now. Yep, um, I didn't spend any money on advertising. I just literally put the site up and maybe start posting it around on some different forums. And, you know, eventually some of the pages started ranking well. That was really the approach. I, I can't remember how long it took between kind of building the website and getting the first customer, but I think it probably wasn't long, maybe like a few weeks. Um, but wow. really, nice. now you look back at it, it, the term MVP really rings true. This was not a business. It was just a site that I built and I'd probably built it in about a week. As soon as you kind of get your first customer and you're like, wow, someone's actually going to pay me for this. Mm-hmm. And then two weeks later, you see a second customer and then, you know, two, three months in, suddenly you have like 20 customers. You're like, suddenly you've actually got a business and it's like really reassuring. And I think I kind of just uh, fed off that, you know, as a youngster, yep. I was like, wow, you know, we can keep going and we can keep growing this. Was that your aha moment? I think so. Yeah. Because before that, I tried to start a web hosting company. Mm-hmm. Again, back then, it, it was lots and lots of people doing this, starting web hosting businesses. It was really easy, very like low barrier to entry. But I didn't make any money doing that at all. And I kind of saw the benefit of 
having a site selling a product or a service versus just saying, oh, okay, I'll design you a logo for $25 or whatever, because you know, you've got that recurring revenue and mm-hmm. you've got that customer base then, and you can kind of grow upon that, then sort of looking around for your next freelance gig. Yeah, definitely. I think a really cool thing about that too is, so you basically like bootstrapped your way to success too, right? Yeah. Tell me a little bit more then about what that evolution was like as you mm. changed and grew from wave streaming into radio.co. Yeah, so I went off to university in 2005, at that stage debating whether or not I should go to university because I could see it as, well, it's going to be expensive, I have to get student loan. But I was still at that stage really just like quite a geeky kid sort of hiding away behind his computer. So I thought, if anything, it's going to be good to move away from home, you know, kind of experience a bit of the real world and and get out there. Probably was the, the most valuable lesson. I think I learned at university was just like the life lessons it teaches you. But I yep. think, you know, during uni, I used that period to... I, to be fair, you know, I, I kind of went out and partied a lot. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> so perhaps my business then didn't grow as quickly over that four year period as, as it could have done. Yeah. But then when I graduated, I kind of took things to the next level. I started hiring staff at that point and, and that allowed me to focus really on the bigger picture and sort of take it from sort of almost like a like lifestyle company that I was running from my bedroom into sort of a legitimate business. Mm-hmm. At that stage, I got really lucky, set myself up right place, right time. We ended up getting a contract with AOL, flew to New York. This was probably like a year and a half after I graduated uni. Flew to New York, met with AOL. They actually owned the Shoutcast and Winamp software, mm-hmm. but they had no resource to develop it because it was kind of this project that they bought you know, 15 years before and it, it just was sort of sat there doing nothing. And we were at that stage, we were innovating, we were building software that kind of complemented their platform. So they said, look, how's this work for you? You know, can you become our partner? We'll refer you leads and, you know, you can continue working with us and helping us develop this. And, and obviously, you know, building your product out around this, the kind of core infrastructure of Shoutcast. So we said, yeah, of course. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was the kind of the deal that sort of changed my life, if you like, and, and really took things to the next level and sort of showed me that actually there is a huge market out there for this kind of thing. And pretty much overnight, the business grew very significantly, both in revenue and also then started growing the the number of team members that I had. So I kind of grew from like two, three people to probably around 10 in a very Mm -hmm. short space of time. But then as quick as that deal came, it went, you know, and I kind Mm -hmm. of knew at the beginning that it felt like it was a little bit too good to be true. And it was exciting, but it wasn't going to last forever. So that was the kind of stage where I thought, right, what comes next? And and that's where Radio.co kind of was concepted and, and sort of came about. Cool. I think I heard a little bit too from another interview that mm. you had some customer feedback too that kind of helped you on that oh, evolution yeah. into Radio.co. Can you tell me a little more about what kind of feedback that was and how you gathered it? Absolutely. The majority of the customers that were signing up who were coming to us from the, the AOL agreement weren't what you'd imagine to be traditional radio stations. I think a lot of them were kind of either enthusiasts, you know, home users, DJs, mm-hmm. musicians, brands also, you know, companies looking to use radio, in-store, stuff like this. And they all seemed to want to use the service for something that was kind of, it wasn't originally designed for. So we were kind of trying to retrofit parts of our system to try and make it work and, and sort of fulfill their needs. But the way that the system was designed, it was all very segmented into different parts. And, you know, we have like five different products and they all connected together. And really it meant, made more sense for us to just kind of build this into one unified platform. And it was just about listening to, to customer feedback. You know, people didn't want to have to fit, configure servers and understand port numbers mm-hmm. and this, that, and the other. Like, they just want to click a button and be able to go. 
And that's really where the, the idea for radio.co came about and how we took user feedback. And also it was really looking at the customer support, you know, like what are the pain points people are having, you know, what are mm-hmm. we constantly getting complaints about? And some of the complaints we were getting, it was, it was just stuff that we couldn't control because the core platform wasn't maintained by us. So it was just about, you know, trying to overcome those barriers for people. There's barriers there, listening to customers and learning mm. and growing. You alluded a little bit before to having setbacks or trying like your web hosting company that didn't really work out. Mm. Are there any other big challenges that you faced kind of in business as you tried to grow? <laughs> and if so, what would be one of those biggest challenges and how did you overcome it? Well, I mean, you mentioned, um, I've certainly had failures along the way. You mentioned earlier CDNFI. It was a different market we entered there. It was really a product that we built based on our sort of experience and knowledge, kind of building a CDN for, for streaming. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, like, you know, there's an opportunity here to build a, a CDN product, which was more aimed towards kind of web developers and accelerating e-commerce stores and that kind of thing. So, you know, again, that was really a product which was built maybe based on, well, I've got one business is working really well. Let's try another. Um, but mm-hmm. I hadn't really researched the market that well. It was just a case of we used kind of other content delivery services for our own products. And we sort of thought, well, we can do better than this. Yep. So we spent a long time building it and actually it didn't really work out very well and we ended up selling it. But, you know, when I look at the amount that we kind of managed to grow it to the, the, in terms of number of customers, it just, I don't really consider it a success. I, I think you have to learn a lot from these negative experiences and yep. try and turn some of it into a positive, you know, in terms of like, okay, why did we fail? Where do we mess up? And, you know, what could we do better next time? And I think maybe they just I hadn't researched the market enough, basically. It was just me going on instinct versus actually looking at the facts kind of thing. Yeah, let's talk about uh, Podcast Co and why uh, podcasting is such a great mechanism for sharing your message. I guess to start off with, what's your take on that? You obviously have a podcast. So how come you got into podcasting? So I came in like a very different way on like everything. I've been working with mentors and one of my mentors is like, look, I've been using podcasts and getting a ton of clients from it. Clients can be as simple as just interviewing somebody. I work in an industry where I help people with strategy and the only way to really be useful as as like a strategist is to know someone as well as they know themselves. Mm -hmm. So interviewing and then just recording it becomes just another mechanism of getting out there. Mm -hmm. So I kind of got in that way. And then I kind of realized like there's this opportunity to help people who have a cause behind them really get their message out there and really make change. And so that became like a whole other layer of inspiration. And I mean, I'd love to talk about some of the other guests that are coming on and stuff now. Like it became like this small idea that just suddenly evolved into everything else and kind of growing. And we're still only in pre-release, but already like a number of people that I talk to are excited to start listening into it. And Mm. I'm really excited to see this thing launch. It's amazing how much it becomes a life of its own so quickly a lot of people really catch the bug and Mm -hmm. you know interestingly my foray into podcasting was a long time ago I think I started a podcast in about 2008 with my friend Steve and we were both in the infancy kind of stages of our businesses he was in marketing and obviously I had wave streaming back then we used to share an office together and we decided we'd get together anyway but we thought why don't we just start recording these conversations because we always Mm -hmm. talked about business and marketing and you know where we were at with our businesses and so we had this podcast called kickstart profits Annoyingly, I've tried to find the episodes that we recorded. I'd love to listen back to them, but I, I can't find them anywhere. I'm sure I've got them on a hard drive somewhere. And you can see the website on um, archive.org on Wayback Machine. 
but you mm-hmm. can't press play on the episodes. So that was like my first ever attempt at podcasting back in 2008. And, you know, we ran that probably for like a year. We had a few listeners. It wasn't, but back then I think it was a medium which was really reserved for enthusiasts. It was quite difficult to publish a podcast. We had to use like a combination of WordPress and a plugin. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of clunky about how you published episodes and everything. And interestingly, that experience then gave me the idea to create like an MVP of a podcast platform. Again, I think Libsyn, and there might be a couple of platforms out there then, but there wasn't very many. I sort of threw together an MVP and again, like launched it, didn't really gain much momentum. So I kind of scrapped that probably a little bit too early on in in the day to, to really make a success of it. So fast forward, you know, 2013, 2014, we started working with various clients who were saying, you know, they were getting good traction on on their podcast, you know, some of our radio customers. And of course, you know, the last four years or so, it's just blown up, you know, since 2016, Mm -hmm. 17, things have just gone. So it seemed a good evolution for our business. You know, we obviously have we have around four and a half thousand radio stations that use our platform. We were getting more and more people saying to us, do you have podcasting in your platform? Mm-hmm. So we initially thought, well, do we build this as a, as a feature or as an add-on for our existing customers? But the more we looked at it, we thought, you know, there's a bigger market out here. There's more people who want to start podcasts than there is people who want to start radio stations. Let's spin this out as its own thing and, and just connect the two platforms together. That was how podcast.co came around. And since then, obviously, we've been getting more and more involved. Interestingly, with radio.co, we've just always been a SaaS platform. Mm-hmm. We just focused on the technology. With podcast.co, we actually have a production arm as well. So we work with a lot of clients in creating podcasts. We're doing some really interesting things at the moment with some pretty high profile clients. There's a big opportunity to act not only as a platform, but also as a network as well. Definitely. Any secrets? I know you've talked a little bit in the past on some of your blogs about like ship podcasts and <laughs> you know everyone and their mother getting into it, but there's also yeah. these secrets that you have on what does it take to be successful as a podcaster and the best way to get listeners? <laughs> <laughs> if there was a surefire way to ensure success, surely everyone would know. You know, I think there is no secret, really. I mean, I think what you've got to do is just, first of all, come up with a good concept. If you've got an existing audience that you can launch it to that certainly will mm-hmm. help get some momentum in the early days uh, make sure that you're staying true to to what your concept is and if you're bringing on guests they're going to obviously deliver value and kind of be in sync with what you're looking for mm-hmm. i think actually having guests on is a fantastic way of building momentum as well because obviously not only can you share it with your networks your guests will most likely share it with their networks as well and you know, again, the better connected guests that you can get on who have maybe got mm-hmm. big followings on LinkedIn or Instagram or social media in general, again, you're exposing yourself to a big audience there. As a marketer, I always say to people, you need to have some kind of call to action in your podcast. If you're doing it as a commercial activity, you know, have something that you can track, have a custom URL. It could be yoursite.com slash something, or it could just be a custom domain name that you buy. And then you just read out in the podcast. So you can kind of have some sort of measurement if people are actually listening and then taking action and, you know, get them to download some kind of lead magnet. It might be a free PDF or a video mm-hmm. course or something like that. You can actually say, right, well, look, we've, we've had 20 downloads of that within a week. So we know people are listening to the podcast are actually engaged with it. I think that's always a good measurement to actually see that people are engaged. But then, you know, in terms of actually promoting it and getting it out there, you know, obviously you've got to make sure you're listed on all the main platforms you know, treat it as a cross-channel campaign. Make sure you repurpose content, clip out the best bits, turn them into videos, yep. turn them into social media quotes and, and make sure that, you know, that content machine is just constantly churning over really. 
Cool. Okay. So one more question on podcasting and then we'll uh, move on to something else. So I heard recently that Joe Rogan signed an exclusive deal with Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that's going to change the landscape of podcasting? And if so, how? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I can kind of understand, you know, ultimately if someone offers you a hundred million dollars or whatever it was, of course you're going to say yes. You know, one of the things I like about podcasting compared to say YouTube is that Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, dictated or sort of controlled by one big corporate company, you know, you're not under the sort of thumb in terms of their terms and conditions or what you can and can't say. And, you know, there's been so many cases where YouTubers have complained about this or YouTubers have suddenly have their, you know, income stream switched off because they put up a video that YouTube don't like. The podcasting is the people's media. I like the fact personally that it's on all these different platforms and you're not at the mercy of a big corporate. Now, I think Spotify are really trying their best to gobble up as much of their market as they can. Yep. I think one of the benefits obviously Spotify have is that they're cross-platform. You know, with Apple, you are really linked to Mac computers and, and iPhones. Spotify, you know, it's cross-platform on, on desktop, it's cross-platform on mobile. So I do see that there is an advantage in terms of podcasters saying, you want to listen to me, well, just go to Spotify. You know it will work on whatever device that person's on. So I can kind of see there's a benefit there. If I was... Apple, I'd be trying to get a, a client on Android as soon as I could, but you know they're not interested, are they? So this is probably one of the ways that I think Spotify have managed to kind of come in and take a chunk of that market. I think also because they had the lion's share of the market for so many years, they just became complacent. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't innovate in the space; they kind of just left podcasts to this sort of thing within iTunes, and it just didn't really yep. change for many, many years. And suddenly, you know, Spotify have come in, and obviously now Google are entering the market as well. So. I don't know. I think it's good that in a sense that there are now more options, but I think it's dangerous to think that it might just go one way where suddenly one platform owns podcasting. I think podcasting is great because it is sort of fairly uh, neutral and platform agnostic. Yeah. I mean, I think of like writing code too and like GitHub and this whole concept of distributed services. And yeah, it's amazing that right now, yeah, podcasting is something that we can do from anywhere we can say anything we want to say and it's a really powerful way to share and a message you know Mm. we talked a little bit about evolution and the power of listening to your customers as you talked about how getting customer feedback is what's evolved you to where you are you have matchmaker now too yeah it seems like that's kind of come about the same way right so can you tell us a little bit about what matchmaker is and how you got your first users there yeah i'm having a lot of fun with matchmaker i'm really enjoying that project at the moment and effectively to summarize it in a really simple way it is the tinder for podcasters so it <laughs> you know for guys like you and me you know who have podcasts you're constantly looking for guests and i think it's around 60 percent of podcasts are actually based on, on interviewing guests or having guests on your podcast we wanted to build a way just to connect people together and the great thing the most rewarding thing i find about matchmaker for me as an entrepreneur is you know it's a completely free platform at the moment there's no monetization strategy built into it you know, obviously in future, we probably will have to monetize it, but we'll always probably have a free plan. You know, I think that's quite important that we, we keep it as just like a freemium model. Just the feedback we're getting from people, like saying they've signed up within a few days, they've already been booked on five podcasts as a guest or a yep. podcaster who signed up and said, I've already, you know, had 10 guests contact me. I've got them booked on my show and there were people I'd never heard of before. And I just think the fact that we can see that the people are making those connections and we're getting that feedback is just for me, as I say, I just find that really exciting. It's just like rewarding as heck. The way it really came about was because we were looking at ways to, to market our podcast.co service. And we thought, well, why don't we just create a couple of funnels for people looking for guests 
or for guests looking to get booked onto shows. Initially, we kind of just had like two pages on the site for both of those groups with a Google form on. But what we, mm-hmm. what we noticed was, well, people were actually filling out this Google form with some detail, but we actually had no way of connecting them together. It was really just initially like a marketing exercise. Yep. So after we saw that, well, there's clearly a demand for this service, we thought, well, we, we best come up with a concept. So we kind of sat down with our designer and initially we designed literally like a Tinder style interface with like a thumbs up, thumbs down, swipe left, swipe right thing. <laughs> um, just to kind of like sort of almost parody Tinder. We didn't end up building that part of it, but you never know in the future, maybe we will. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of just uh, worked, worked with the designer, came up with the sort of designs. They sat there for probably six months, not doing much. Mm-hmm. And it was probably the end of 2019, we thought, okay, maybe we should actually try and create this. And so we set a, um, like a sub team uh, within our development office, just to, just to the task of creating it. We bought it to market in February and we've grown to, within a very short space of time, we're nearly at 4,000 users on there now. So, you know, it's really taking off. I think we'll be hitting 10K within probably the next couple of months. We want to innovate and build a lot of features and, and kind of we've increased our development capacity for Matchmaker. And also, you know, I think there's lots and lots of things we can do with it, which will be really fun. Yeah, I mean, it's been awesome for me so far. Yeah. I'm just about to launch and the reason that I'm even able to launch at this point is I got like almost 10 interviewees in like a week through wow. the platform. It was like all of a sudden, like what's powerful about your message and just like the way you've grown over time is that a lot of times people think of listening to their customers as mm. direct feedback, but here you're using data as your mechanism, you know, and you're using opt-in forms and marketing and all these other things yeah. that are inferring what the customer is asking for and creating success from that. It's a really awesome. Yeah. But as I say, you know, that's something we did with Matchmaker. It's it's a classic Mm -hmm. example of, you know, no no code MVP. I've noticed this phrase Mm -hmm. is being thrown around now, no code. Didn't really exist a few years ago, that term, but like this was just two Google forms. We probably spent 20 minutes one day putting these pages together and really didn't do much to promote them apart from, you know, obviously putting out a couple of tweets and putting them on the site. Maybe we sent some emails to our lists. You know, when you see that the people are actually going to not just enter your name and email, but actually like tell us a little bit about what sort of shows that you want to get booked on to. Tell us a bit about yep. yourself. And the people are actually going to that length to kind of complete almost a whole profile. If mm-hmm. we've even got a product, goodness me, that's a great sign that there's an opportunity there. And you can really do that for any product in any industry. It's kind of just like doing market research, really. Yeah, definitely. One question there, right, is now you have this platform that's awesome and that's going to keep scaling and growing. Do you think there's any big challenges to making sure that it stays successful or making sure that like the quality of guests or podcasters stays high on there? It's a very good question. Yeah, it's important to us. The outreach initially has been very manual. You know, we've done a lot Mm -hmm. of outreach via LinkedIn. We've done a lot of outreach to our existing, you know, marketing lists, which we know are all podcast focused. So as a result, I think we've been getting good quality guests on the platform, getting good quality podcasts on the platform. Part of the, the benefit has been as well as it's, it's a kind of closed environment. Now, the next mm-hmm. phase for us is do we open it up? So do we have profile yep. pages which are crawlable by Google? You know, one of the reasons we just chose to do this kind of closed ecosystem to start off with was because, you know, initially when someone signs up and the platform was new, you know, one wants to be joining a ghost town, right? If there's only mm-hmm. like five people in one category, you're like, oh, no, this is rubbish and go elsewhere. So we kind of, we needed to launch it like that to, to, to kind yeah. of get to a level where it's at now. But now we're at a level where we've got, you know, a few, several thousand users and 
the engagement rate, when you look at, you know, this sort of our internal metrics is pretty good. We see it probably 50% of the users are currently pretty engaged with the platform. Yeah. You know, it's about trying to scale that and how can we turn the four or 4,000 users into 10,000 and 10,000 into 20 and 20 into 50, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can keep that engagement rate around the same, and you know, there's, we've got various different things that we plan on doing to, to try and encourage that at the, at the moment, the platform is still quite simple. I think we want to add a lot more to it. Some of the things uh, that which we're going to be working on soon is like adding more kind of rich media interactivity. So, you know, you can potentially rather than just writing a profile, like record like a little audio or video pitch, you know, integrating more with RSS feeds. So you can actually pull in podcasts directly onto your profiles, et cetera. So you can listen right cool. from there. So just like little things like this, which we're going to hope will encourage users to spend more time on the platform, kind of make the experience better. Yeah, that's awesome. I'd love to know a little bit more about your why. Your purpose is connecting people and helping them share their message with the world, right? Why is that Mm. so important to you? When I started out, I was this kid in his bedroom broadcasting like a radio show to his friends. Mm -hmm. And I think it gave me back then a huge sense of gratification. I used to love it. I used to love getting feedback from listeners. And that was kind of how I started out. And it's very similar with podcasting and it's very similar with radio and it's kind of similar with matchmakers. If you can help people spread their message or share their passion for a particular subject or a particular type of music, you know, that's providing a service which they find very valuable but not only the person that's actually broadcasting it's the audience mm-hmm. that are receiving that information or that entertainment or that news as well the internet has always been a good tool to kind of do that for me it's an exciting place to be i think i'd rather be doing that than writing newsletters or something i think the idea of audio and video has always just kind of been at the forefront of what we do one other question there if you could make everyone in the world do one thing differently after this interview, what would that one thing be? It's interesting because lockdown, you kind of want to be careful what you say in these situations because it can get very philosophical. Mm -hmm. But I think like your lockdown has bought out. I'm not the person who invented this phrase, but I remember someone said it, I can't remember who the other day and I completely resonate with it. You know, it's bought out a lot of good in people and also a lot of bad in people. And, you know, there's obviously lots of stuff going on at the moment, which is kind of scary. If lockdown and this current kind of times can teach people just to be a bit nicer to each other, and I think that's a good thing. I think the internet has certainly, social media has become kind of like this quite horrible place at times. And, you know, there's been some really weird, horrible stuff that's gone on, which kind of didn't really exist 10 years ago. You know, I was kind of at the age where I I didn't grow up with social media. I grew up with the internet just about. And then, you know, the social media kind of came in when I was in my kind of late teens, I guess. You know, when I look at kids these days growing up with social media, I think there's some really bad stories. And I don't know, that that always freaks me out. So I think people just need to be respect it. And I think maybe, you know, sometimes it's gone too far. So I think people need to just be nicer to each other, really. Great. Yeah. So what's your biggest challenge right now? as you keep growing with podcast and matchmaker and maybe future ventures? Well, the biggest challenge we've got at the moment, we've just taken a lot of client work on board. Some of it's really exciting. It's got the potential to be really huge, you know, big hitting podcasts. We've managed to strike a deal with very large, well-known record label. And they manage a lot of not only music, but sort of sports personalities as well. So we're, we're doing some really interesting projects with them. The challenge is really just at the moment, you know, we've got this huge opportunity, which is ahead of us. And we've got to make sure that we're just giving it our all and, and delivering. And obviously, because we're all sort of remote at the moment, we're having to focus extra hard on communication, and making sure that we're all sort of staying on top of this. But that's kind of the main challenge. And also just continuing to grow out the platforms. You know, 
podcast.co and matchmaker are still both in quite early stages you know, we're still very products that are in their infancy so really just a kind of continued growth curve and keeping that traction is always going to be a sort of challenge i think especially for your first couple of years when you launch a startup definitely yeah is there anything else you'd like to share or talk about you didn't have a chance to just to kind of like go back to the hustle thing i think so to finish up the main advice i give to people who are thinking about starting a business or perhaps they're in a job they're not happy with or they're thinking i know there's a lot of people in this situation at the moment they're sort of this has given people time to reflect just go for it you know like as same with starting a podcast there's too many people who sit on the fence for a year and think oh i might start a podcast well just just go for it that's that's kind of like the my key advice when, when you're kind of thinking about going into something you know you don't have to go in all guns blazing to begin with you can kind of do something as a side project and see how it goes and sort of see if there's some momentum there to begin with but like just test ideas and, and try different things. I think that's always important as an entrepreneur. Definitely. Thanks. Is that and, a good um, closing thought? <laughs> yeah, it's great. I tried early on starting businesses where I like quit my job to start my business and failed mm. completely and then like ran out of money. I think what's amazing nowadays is exactly what you said. Like you can test things mm. and you can make things happen and you can grow them organically without having to leave stability too. So that's really awesome. So where can people go to learn more? If you want to find out more about the services and products we offer, check out radio.co, podcast.co, matchmaker.fm. If you want to connect with me on social media, all of my links are on jamesm.com connect. Thank you so much for your time and I'd love to have you on again soon. All right, super. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah.